If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Did you notice how young our ladies' ensemble was tonight? Oh, was, oh wow. That was a, it's a good sign. It's a good sign of a church when, when uh, we got some uh, from every age group. It's a good sign. And uh, thanking the Lord uh, tonight for, uh, for ladies of, from toddler and preschool all the way up to senior saints. Thankful so much for our, for our ladies and our men, but, but especially our ladies tonight as they sang for us. Amen. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Beginning in uh, verse 13, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask that you'd help us tonight as we endeavor to rightly divide the word of truth. We ask that you'd be with every hearer. May they hear what needs to be heard. Help us, Lord, to be an encouragement and not a discouragement. Lord, help us to be uh, found faithful in that day when we stand before you. We ask these things in your precious, perfect name. Amen. You may be seated. As, uh, as we've shared in the prayer request time about the Bump family, I have to be honest with you, uh, the Lord and I have had some conversations about that this week. And I have to be honest, I've told the Lord that, Lord, your ways are so much higher than ours that this is one of those times that I just don't get it. It's one of those times that I have to say that the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. As a, as a person, as a human being, I would, I would quite uh, easily say that this is not what I would have picked. I wouldn't have picked that. A young family, those children who need their father, the wife who needs their, her husband, the whole situation is such that a church that needs a good Christian family in there. And, and as, I've just, as I was just wrestling with it, not, wrestling might not even be the word, but just, but just telling the Lord that I didn't get it. Now, I suppose the Lord knew I didn't get it before I told him. But you know, it's good to talk over with the Lord some things when, when, you're, when you uh, just don't understand or when you're going through things and and I was thinking about that as we were looking uh, as we we're looking at today's text, and was thinking about how that last week the the verses uh, preceding this were about the coming of the Antichrist, and and uh, how scary that is. And Paul tells us that he told us this so that our hearts, our minds, wouldn't be troubled. But if we're honest. We are a bit troubled about the coming things, the things that, that, that we don't understand and, and uh, certainly concerned about whether uh, we will be part of the elect that would be even uh, fooled by, by the man of sin. If not us, what about family members? What about people we love? 
And Paul has, has he's finished that. He's going on to pretty soon in, in the next chapter. He's going to be talking about practical uh, living, practical Christian living for today. And so he shared the future trials and how we can have confidence in God for that. And he's going to be talking to us in, in the next chapter about, about how we can practically live out our faith and day-to-day living. But before he makes that transition... He gives us these verses. And uh, you'll forgive me if I use a word that, that, I, that I've heard some, some people don't like, don't like, but I'm just going to use it anyways because I, I think there's some truth to it. I believe what Paul's trying to tell us here is that we are lucky. We are lucky. And now you can say, no, 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 pastor, the word should be blessed or the, the you know, favored or, or some of these other things. And and certainly I, I believe in those things, and those are probably more accurate. But there's just something about all of the blessings that we have in serving God that truly, I don't know that we can find a word in the English language that even comes close enough to describe the benefit it is to being us. The benefit of being us. And Paul gives us a few, a few things and. And, uh, and uh, he wants us to understand some of the blessings, some of the benefits. So he's talked about these bad things in the past, and he's going to be telling us about how to live out our faith in, in a little bit. But, but right now, he just wants to tell us how good we have it. Have you ever done that with your children? Told them how good they have it? I tell you what, sometimes that when my kids seem ungrateful, or when my kids don't seem to be as appreciative as I think they should be, they get the, do you know how good you have it lecture. I hope, I hope most of you dads have that in your back pocket. Our children probably have it memorized. Now certainly that we don't have all the things that we want and we certainly uh, don't have, you know, uh, what the world would consider to be the greatest blessings in the world as far as things are concerned, but but really, we have it good. And I almost, I almost could preach this message like a do you know how good we have it lecture. But I don't want to do it that way. What I want us to do is I just want us to think about how good we have it. How good we have it. I, I would suggest this, that each one of us, we're, we're the rich people of the world. Let the Elon Musk and the Bill Gates and is it Bezos or whatever he is that owns Amazon, let them have their earthly riches. We have wealth that they can't, they can't understand. They can't uh, take it with their, with their products. And Uncle Sam can't tax it. Hallelujah. <laughs> So you know what I'm talking about, tomorrow coming. The first thing that I believe that Paul tells us, and Sister Ruth stole all my thunder in her testimony, and so I won't have to preach very long on this, and everyone's excited about that. But the first thing is, is, is we have a church family. He, calls, he says to them that they are their brethren. And I believe that this, of course, often in language, that when uh, you mean a mixed group, you often use the masculine form. 
If you've taken Spanish or some of those other languages, you understand that that's a common thing. You can, you, if you, they've got a word for uh, daughters, they've got a word for sons, but if you've got sons and daughters, they just say sons. That's the way it is in Spanish. Feminists don't like it, but it's, they're trying to change it, but they haven't got it changed yet. And what we have here is, is a reminder that God has given us a church family. We have brothers and sisters in the Lord. And what a wonderful thing it is to have a church family. And we could just probably sit around and if I just open it up and I, and I was tempted almost to do so, but where we could just talk about what our church families have done to, for us. I was going to say to us, and that wouldn't be quite be right, would it? <laughs> it might have been some to us too, but, but because you know what? Families do have some, sometimes we have some issues. You know, sometimes my children fuss and feud with each other. You can't hardly believe it, could you? And your children never fussed and feuded with each other either, did they? <laughs> and you didn't fuss with your siblings either. <laughs> you know, I think sometimes too much is made over the, some, some of the friction that we have in, amongst our brothers and sisters in the Lord. I, you know that? I really feel like we've, we've come to act like being Christians means that we don't have any disagreements. No, it means we have, we have disagreements, but we let love rule first. I don't agree with everybody on everything. There's days I don't agree with myself. <laughs> I, just, I mean, there's sometimes I, I, I'm like, man, I think this, no, I think maybe this, no, this, and I don't know. And you know, it, it seems like we, we've, got, we've gotten this idea that, that as Christians, that if ever there's any kind of disagreement, if we don't have a unanimous vote on everything, then we probably shouldn't do it. It's like, Really? That's not how it works in my house. Sometimes the vote, just I'll be honest with you, the vote isn't very democratic at my house. <laughs> Sometimes the kids vote one way and the parents vote the other way, and guess what way it goes? Do I think that we should do it that way in the church? Not necessarily, but we better be careful that that if our leadership is saying one thing and we feel another, that we better be very careful how we, how we uh, vote and how we have our demand of our rights. You know, there's a time to vote against what you want. Vote against what yourself. Because God has placed individuals in leadership that, that we need to respect and honor and need to be careful of. But we have a church family, and we support each other, and we help each other. And I'm so thankful for our church family. I'm thankful for you all. I cannot imagine having to try to pastor this church without your help. I mean, folks, I'll be honest with you. You wouldn't get a bulletin most weekends if it was up to me. I just don't have time to fit it in. And Larry's helped us with that, and now Jimmy, and we appreciate it. I mean, we just go right on down the list. And if I cleaned the church, you all would complain terribly about how poorly the job was done. <laughs> I, 
I do my best, but I don't, I, I just probably wouldn't be able to come up to your standard and and yet we've got that taken care of and I don't have to worry about it. And I mean, the list goes on and on, mowing and shoveling and just on and on of how we take care of each other. I remember we, I was a young preacher in, in our, my first church and I was several hours away from home. We had, uh, one of our people was in the hospital and in the university hospital, and so we, had, we went to visit them, and we went out to the car to start it, and wouldn't you know, in the parking garage, that car would not start. <sighs> Why does it have to happen in the parking garage two and a half hours from home? I mean, that was a miserable situation, and I didn't know what to do. It was, of course, it was too late. Uh, you know, it's, you know, five o'clock or whatever. It's, it's too late. The, all the Repair places are closed. They're not, nobody's going to fix my car. And uh, we, I certainly didn't have money for any repairs, let alone a hotel for the night. And I remembered, you know what? There's a holiness church in this town. And uh, I think in those days, young people don't have a heart attack. We had to look it up in the phone book. <laughs> we'd, we'd, we didn't have those fancy uh, uh, cell phones with screens and all these things. I mean, if you had a cell phone, you'd, I think we did have, I did think I did have my cell phone, if I remember right. So we dialed that, or maybe we went into the hospital. I, maybe we used the hospital phone, I'm not sure. But, but we called the pastor, and he said, we'll be over, and we'll get you. And they did, they got us, they fed us, they took care of all of our needs, washed our clothes, because we only had the, the clothes we were wearing, and, you know... It was wonderful. They took us and dropped us off at the repair place and everything. They just took good care of us. And that's been so many years ago, and yet I haven't forgotten. Haven't forgotten their kindness and generosity. When, when we didn't, couldn't take care of ourselves, they took care of us. And folks, we do that. We do that. A pastor friend of mine was, was out and in uh, one of the Dakotas, I think South Dakota, and doing some mission work. He was a HVAC guy. He was putting in a, a furnace for them, and one of his church people became deathly ill. One of the young people was taken clear to Boston for, for uh, open-heart surgery, and uh, here he is. He can't get home, and she's, she's very likely going to die. I, I was new to the area, but I, I contacted, uh, contacted him and I said, are you interested in maybe me driving out there? I was, I don't know, four, five hours from Boston. I said, you, you, would you want me to go out for you just to visit that family? And he, he couldn't believe it. He never would have asked, but we, we went out there and that poor family, they, the, their daughter was... They weren't even able to close her chest back up. The situation was so dire that they felt like the, the, they believed that it was better for them to leave the chest open than it was to close it back up after the surgery. And I believe she died two or three days after I had visited with the family. And I think, you know, how precious it was that as a church family that, that God placed it on my heart to go and visit them 
in the midst of this terrible tragedy and their pastor is so far away and couldn't help them. I'm not trying to brag on me this, this evening. I'm just trying to help us to understand that, that the privilege of belonging to the family of God is so worth it. So worth it. But you know, that means that we have a responsibility ourselves to make sure that we're good brothers or sisters. We can't, we, we can't always be the taker. You know, it's, not, it's wonderful when a, when a sibling says, I, oh, I see you that you're really busy. I'll take on your chores and, and help you out. That ever happens. <laughs> but, the, it, but if one would do that and the other one would never reciprocate, that would cause a problem. Folks, we, we just can't be takers. We've got to make sure that we're givers. And you know, the thing is, is, is we can't just be give after we've received. We've, we've, got to, we've got to store up. We've got to do good while we can. And there, there may come a day when we can no longer do good and we can no longer be a blessing. To, and we need to, to be the recipients of the blessings of our brothers and sisters. But we've already done so much that nobody feels bad about doing it. So we have a church family, our brothers and sisters, but, but we have also have, have the love of the Father. Really, the, this week is, exemplifies it, doesn't it? When you think about, we think about the Heavenly Father as He sends His Son to earth, and I just can't imagine this morning, or this evening, I just can't imagine what kind of love that is. I can't imagine Jesus' love for us. And I don't want to. I don't want to take away from Easter. I don't want to take away from from our from that to this week. But I just really, as I think about how often does the Bible have to remind us that God loves us? In fact, just in these verses, Paul has to say it twice. Twice he reminds us in the, just these few verses that we're beloved of the of God of the Lord that that the Lord loves us that God cares about us. It's easy for us to forget it, I think. We get so caught up in our day-to-day routine. We get caught up in our responsibilities. We get, we get caught up in all the bad things that happen to us. And we forget that God loves us. But thank the Lord that He does. Thank the Lord that He does. He's given us our church family, and what a privilege it is. But not only has He given us a church family, but He's given us a calling. He's called us. And I believe that all the world has been called. But not all the world can hear his call. You know, there's, there's these little whistles that you can blow on, but you and I can't hear them. But you can drive dogs crazy. Don't do that to your neighbors. <laughs> but you can, we don't have the ability to hear that dog whistle. We don't have the ability to hear the call of that whistle. Our ears are not uh, attuned for that. God did not give us the ability to be able to hear that call. But God in His love and in His goodness to us allowed us to hear the call of salvation and sanctification. Sanctification. 
we had the privilege of when we came to hear so many of your testimonies of how God reached you. And uh, what, a, what a spiritual feast. What a spiritual feast. So thankful for uh, the Lord leading us to do that and thinking about different ones that oh, God, God got a hold of their hearts. Some of them got saved as young children and never went out into sin. And thank God for that. And that doesn't sound like an exciting testimony, but what, oh, what a wonderful testimony to, to never, ever have those regrets. And others had testimonies of going into, into sin and, and terrible sin, and, and, and God was able to reach down and save them. But, but whatever the testimony was, the fact was that God saved them, and that was enough. That was enough. So thankful that God still saves old sinners. And I'm looking for some more, uh, for more individuals to get come to uh, from our community, and and perhaps even at our altar, or maybe at home. But 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 would say that that God, using our church as an instrument of of His love, has reached them and they're saved. I'd like to see some more of that happen. I believe God's calling in Altamont, calling people to salvation. But I believe he's also still calling to sanctification. Paul talks about sanctification here in, the, in this passage. And, and you know, we've gotten away from holiness. In fact, we, you know, we put it on our, our pulpit. Some churches have it uh, uh, on the back wall. Some have it on the outside. Some have it holiness in their name. We do that, don't we? Most, many of our holiness denominations put holiness in the name somewhere. Bible holiness, pilgrim holiness. You know, it just, we just kind of sneak it in there. But you know what my concern is, is that we've gotten away from good teaching on holiness. To be sanctified means to be set apart from this world. To have our carnal desires and our carnal affections burned out like the dross that it is. And that our will is set like a flint towards heaven and away from this world. And we've made it about a lot of other things. You know, the evidence, the evidence of holiness is the fruit of the Spirit. Evidence that we're sanctified is that we're living out 1 Corinthians 13. And in those verses where it talks about what charity does and doesn't do, we put our name in the place of charity. And we read it and we say, do we, are we aligning up with holiness? John Wesley said, if you seek for anything but more love, you seek amiss. You're seeking your wrong thing. Oh, that God would help us to live up to the standard of holiness. And folks, I'm not talking about, about the dress standards and as important as those are for other reasons. Those aren't holiness standards. I hate that people call them holiness standards because they're nothing to do with holiness. They have everything to do with about pleasing our Lord. What holiness is, the holiness standard, is whether we love with unconditional, perfect, agape love.
the natural man is selfish, even saved, the natural man is selfish and says, me first. The sanctified heart says, I'm willing to suffer for your benefit. I'm willing to not have my way for your benefit. You know, I, I truly believe it would be almost impossible to have a church split or a denominational split if everybody was sanctified. It just would be almost impossible. I understand that we can get differing ideas and we can get so focused on our ideas that we were convinced that it's a heaven or hell issue and that we're right. And I'm not saying that, that our Reformation fathers were wrong to, to take the stands that they did. But what I find interesting is, is that most of those Reformation fathers weren't trying to create new denominations. They were trying to bring back the old denomination back to the truth. Martin Luther wasn't trying to start the Lutheran church when he nailed his 95 theses to the uh, door of Gutenberg Chapel. What he was trying to do is to bring the Catholic church back to biblical truth and teachings. John Wesley had no desire to start the Methodist church. He had no desire for that. He, in fact, he encouraged the people to keep going to the Anglican church. He had no desire to start a new denomination. That wasn't what he was trying to do. He was trying to call the Anglican church back to holiness. And I understand that when God helps us and so forth, that some of these, some of the time that, that invariably they'll expel out those that are trying to call back and bring revival. That happened with the booths. They'll expel, they'll push out those that have... But folks, our first responsibility isn't to to create a separation. Our first responsibility is to call back to revival, call back to the truth, call back because we love them and we're sanctified. And if we don't have all of our own way, that's fine, but we've, we've got to have the truth. God's given us a calling to be saved and sanctified. But finally, I would suggest that God has given us a charge. He's given us a charge, first of all, to obey the truth. For you and to me, not just to, to point fingers at everybody else to obey the truth, but for us, he says, that follow the traditions, whether it by, by word or our epistle. Now, when, I, when, when this is translated traditions, this doesn't mean man-made traditions. Jesus talks about that in Mark and, and pretty well explains to us that man-made traditions are not supposed to be followed. Oh, we need a revival of hearing that. But I, I'm afraid that what happens is, is people take this word, tradition, and say, see, Paul is telling us that whatever our forefathers told us what to do, we can't change it even if it isn't biblical. That's not what this word tradition means. It means something that's been handed from one person to another. 
And Paul's talking about the gospel. He's talking about truth that has been first given to to Paul, and then Paul took and he preached it there at Thessalonica, and, and those that got saved after he was already gone, they, they maybe they received it from the pastor there, or from a deacon, or, or from a, a, a dear saint, or, or maybe it's from a, a, an epistle that Paul wrote. But these are or something that was handed from one person to another. And folks, I... I what, what we hand to our children, what we hand to them, are is more, it better be more than just man-made traditions. It better be something that's been handed down from God himself to us. Because if all we have is man-made traditions, they'll walk away from it. Because it won't, it won't stand, it will not stand as the culture changes. There was a, a time, there was a time that holiness preachers were preaching against drinking milkshakes on Sunday. They were. You shouldn't have something so decadent on the Lord's Day. It should be a day of uh, set aside and you shouldn't have a milkshake. And so, you know, the they, people got smart and so they made an, a new ice cream concoction they call a Sunday. And you can have this on Sunday. That's how Sundays got their names. To get around some preaching that you can't have these milkshakes. There was a time that holiness preachers preached that you shouldn't drink uh, pop out of a can. Because someone might mistake it for a beer can. Now the culture is such that, man, if you heard preaching like that, you'd be scratching your head. There was a time, and there, still in some places, there, there was a time that it was preached against not wearing facial hair for the men. You know, it's getting to the place with the transgender stuff that it's almost getting to the place where we might have to start preaching that men should have to wear it. <laughs> so that we can have a distinction of the sexes. Because most women can't grow facial hair, and the ones that can, we feel sorry for them. But there may come a time, there may come a time where God will place it on the hearts of pastors to start preaching that there's the need to put on the facial hair because the culture has so changed where the genders have been so blurred that in order to keep the distinction that this is what will have to be, that we're going to have to grow our facial hair. That may come. I don't, I'm not preaching that you have to do that, okay? I, I, I didn't wear a beard to, to church today. And I know some of the old timers might really be frustrated with me even saying that's a possibility, but, but it's a tradition that's been handed down because the culture of the 60s, the beard was a representation of, of rebellion. And so, we've, so as culture changes, but see, the thing is, is the church doesn't keep, we preach against the culture, but then when the culture changes, then we forget to fix it. This is, Paul's not talking about traditions. And some of those things are good. Listen, let, me, let me just back up here. Some of those things are really good. There are times that we may have things that we say no to, not because the Bible says no, but be, or be, because the culture has changed to such a degree that if we participate in it, it will, it will appear that we're in league with or in agreement with the things that the world's doing. 
And we may have to make some changes as culture goes this way and that way. We may have to make some changes in order to be set apart, to say that we're not going the way of the world. And if you look back at the 1800s, all the holiness preachers were wearing facial hair. I don't know how we got on that. I don't mean to be down a rabbit trail tonight. What I'm trying to help us to understand is that, that traditions, man-made traditions, they can be helpful for a season, but we can't hand them down and, keep, and, and require them of every generation. We've got to be careful. The traditions that Paul is talking about here are not man-made. These are God-given, handed from God to Paul, from Paul to the church at Thessalonica, the, and the church to the community there, and, and on and even to where we are reading the epistle today and receiving the truth. And we have a charge to receive that truth and a charge to stand firm when the world is going crazy. Oh, that God would help us to stand firm when the world's going crazy. You know, the world is going to keep going crazy. I'd love to see such a revival around our, the world. You know, John Wesley and Adam Clark, they believed, they believed differently than what most here believe in the end times. They believed that, that God was going to help the church conquer the world for Jesus, and that was going to usher in the thousand years of peace, is that everyone, was, not everyone, but the vast majority of people in the world would become Christians. And that's what compelled them in their missionary journeys. And I know many disagree with it, but man, I tell you what, did they ever send out the missionaries? And Asbury, man, did he send out the circuit riders hunting down every, every settler on, uh, on the west of the colonies that they could hunt down and find because they were doing their very best to bring about a world that was serving Jesus. And I don't know if, if we're right or, or if... Adam Clark and John Wesley are right about the end days, but one of the things I do know is that the world has always been and always will be crazy. And the cure for that is not for us to be crazy too. Not crazy like them and not crazy in the opposite direction as them, but for us to remain true to the Word of God, to stand firm. I'm not going to go crazy this way because the world goes crazy that way. I don't have to balance the world out. I have to be balanced in the truth. And I'm afraid that's what so many are doing is every time the world zigs this way, we zag that way. And our job isn't to balance out the world. We're supposed to be balanced and unchanging in our faith. Stand firm. I'll just say to us this evening, we are the blessed ones. Given a family, church family, a, a heavenly father who loves us. Given a call to salvation and to sanctification. And I hope everyone's answered both calls. Given a charge to guard the word and to pass it on to our children and our children's children. Oh, we are blessed. We are blessed. 
And I know bad things happen. And there's tragedies that we face. And I know that, that for many this week was a rough week for various reasons. But I'm thankful that even in spite of all of our difficulties in the midst of all of our battles, we can still say, still blessed. Still blessed. Let's stand together. Amen. Sister Peggy, would you dismiss us in prayer?